like a moment from a horror movie. You have been hanging out in the wrong clubs, Mr. Wayne. I've seen this movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Join the club. We've got jackets. And you stole it from a movie. We want you in our club, kid. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke. And with me, as always, is Corey Starr. Corey, our painter this week. Hello, That's hello. Right. She's a painter because we're going to be talking about a portrait of a lady on fire. Uh, the 2019 film um, that we will get into for our month of speaking my language. The uh, month of August 2020. Um, these are foreign films. Accidentally and all French. All French. Um, which I am finding that I am a big fan of French cinema, apparently. Uh, which I can't get into why. But there is a movie that I'll be talking about in the near future that is a French film that I adore. Um, I can't say what it is or where I saw it, but soon on BurkeReviews.com, you will uh, get to learn details of a movie that you should definitely check out, which would have fit perfectly into this month's uh, theme. Um, that said, if you're new to the podcast, uh, every month we pick a theme. We, we choose a movie that at least one of us have not seen, and we watch it. In this case, I think every movie we're watching this month, neither of us have seen except for the last Jean-Pierre Genois film, which I have seen, The uh, City of Lost Children. But everything else this month, I think, is a first for all of us, right? Yes. For all of us being two, just two. Just I don't know. Clemmy and Clover watch them, too. Ah, the, those are cats, correct? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, for Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I got to uh, watch it on my Criterion Blu-ray that I got in July, um, even though it is available on Hulu. So if you haven't seen it yet, you can check that out on Hulu. Um, I had a, a, We don't talk about the movie just yet, listener, if you're new. Um, we like to talk about what's been going on and what we've been watching. But before we get there, uh, this is, I guess, kind of what, part of my what's been going on. It's been raining badly every night for like the last several nights, and we've had like severe thunder and lightning and stuff. Mm. and uh we often will lose power but not for long like it'll just like flicker off or, or whatever for a second or two and so i'm watching the movie i'm almost done like i have like six or seven minutes left of the movie and my power flicks off now i i was usually i'd be watching on streaming but because i bought the the criterion blu-ray i wanted to watch it on the blu-ray so i had it on my xbox uh and the tv goes out my light goes out but my xbox doesn't go out it pushes past the surge of electricity and stays on. And the power comes back on and my Xbox never turned off, right? Now, it's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. The downside is the movie keeps freaking playing, but my TV's off, so I'm not mm. watching it. So I have to now rewind. So I, like, I'm rewinding and I'm like, oh, God, because it's like the very end. I'm rewinding and then the power goes completely out and my Xbox turns off. I'm like, oh, so I get on my phone and I'm like, all right, I'm going to finish it on Hulu because I don't know how long the power might go out or I don't want it to keep flicking and maybe blow up my Xbox or whatever. So I get on my phone. I, I get on the Hulu. I, I fast forward to where I was um, on my Blu-ray, hit play, and then my Wi-Fi tries to kick back on on my phone, but it's not there yet. So now it's just frozen. I'm like, oh, my God, I just want to finish the last five minutes of this movie. <laughs> So I had like, you know, no big deal. I turned the Wi-Fi off and then my, my cell signal and I streamed the last five minutes on Hulu on my phone, though, which is not how I want to watch any movie. Uh, generally speaking, I prefer to watch them at least on a computer screen, but I prefer on my television. Um, I prefer them on the big screen, but that's currently not an option. And so 
that was uh, my my little story of dealing with our bad weather. Uh, and I should note that this movie, again, we're not reviewing the movie yet, but this movie has a lot of moments of, of quiet. And my dog, uh, Frankie, has severe thunderstorm anxiety. And um, I have learned over the last couple of years, because we have two dogs, uh, that there are generally two ways dogs um, react to thunderstorms if they are bothered by them. One is they hide. That's what Lady does. Lady vanishes. The second thunder hits, you don't see her anymore. She's hiding under the bed or under a table. She's hidden, uh, safe from the thunder. Frankie goes the other direction and hyperventilates and wants to be near you. Um, and hyperventilating for a dog, if you've never heard, is them panting and drooling uncontrollably. So that was my soundtrack to Portrait of a Lady on Fire was my dog <laughs> and just dripping drool all over my carpet. Um, I was Sounds like, lovely. oh, boy. Yeah. Now, he has anxiety medicine um, that we got from the vet. But if you uh, one, if you don't get if you don't predict the weather, which I'm not very good at, um, then you give it to him and it doesn't kick in for like an hour. So it doesn't really help with the initial anxiety. Um and two, that dude is high for like 24 hours after he has his anxiety <laughs> pill. And like, he's only taking a quarter of the pill, but he is like, you can see in his eyes that he has no clue where he is for like the next 12 hours or so. And it's just, I tried, we try not to give it to him. If he starts like really, really freaking out, like we'll give it to him. Cause like, we're just worried about his little heart giving out, you know? Um, but he's such a great dog too. So thank you for taking a... those precautions. Oh, I, I learned uh, this like, is something I love else. Frankie. We w- listeners, if you haven't caught on, we've gone into uh, what's been going on since the last time we recorded. So he, um, we took him to the vet because uh, you, you know, like dogs have like the anal gland thing, and uh, you're supposed to have either like squeeze the anal gland to like let mm-hmm. out the juices, or <laughs> right, or you take it to the vet. You take it to the vet and let them do it. But some dogs, it just happens naturally. And Frankie, his entire life has just been a thing. He's never had an issue with his anal glands. Uh, we've had some okay. issues with it because sometimes they've leaked onto like furniture. Oh. And that's, it smells worse than poop. Like you wouldn't imagine how it's possible to smell worse than poop, but it, it does. Um, but for some reason, like I, maybe because of the pandemic, I don't know. But uh, it didn't, he didn't release. And so it, it, they got infected. And we took him to the vet um, after we realized something wasn't right. And they put him on an antibiotic and a steroid, right? And the antibiotics are freaking huge. They're like the size of a penny. Um, And so we used to try, like, uh, we'd buy, like, the pill pockets, and he wouldn't eat those. And then uh, we found that if we put, like, a spoon of peanut butter um, and put the pill in it, most of the time he would eat it without realizing he was eating it. Like, sometimes he would try to be sneaky and, like, spit it back out. Most of the time he would just swallow it. But that takes forever because you got to, especially when there's like a giant pill, because you got to make sure there's enough peanut butter to cover up the pill and that the pill will stick to the peanut butter. So when he's eating it, it gets, you know, he swallows it. So I went looking and I found a recipe to make my own peanut butter pill poppers. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the recipe I found called for um, like rolled oats and like ground them up and then mixing that with peanut butter and water. And it like makes like a pill pocket, non-baked too. So it's real simple, but I didn't have rolled oats. I had instant grits. Oh, why would you do that to that dog? Oh, which part? Because it's instant the grits? grits. Oh, it, it, one, Frank, Frankie, unlike, you're not supposed to, but my wife for many years has fed our dog popcorn. And I understand the concerns, but Frankie eats popcorn and he's fine. He He's eaten it for 
way too long now to try to stop it. But um, there's many, many a times I've walked out and my wife and dog are sharing a bag of popcorn from Publix <laughs> on the couch. Um, oh, Publix. And uh, so he likes the taste of corn, so which is why the grits actually have worked really well. Uh, Corey, I've had not only success with what I made, this dog is now like he wags his tail for this treat and he eats it so fast. Like it's so easy Dude. to give him his medicine now because I, I made guess... this concoction. My concern is more, did you cook the grits or were they raw? Because the raw sounds horrible. Everybody's so, had undercooked gritty grits. They're not supposed to be gritty. Because it is, is, is the bulk of it is peanut butter. And, okay. Uh, a table it's what i'm doing with the grits is equal parts water uh peanut butter and grits and so the grits um absorb all the water and then it solidifies into a very malleable like peanut butter roll and i put them on parchment paper and roll them up like candy and they even after like days in the fridge they're able to shape around the pill so like i can put the pill in shape it around and then i just i just basically hold it up to him and he, he eats it like no hesitation just like yes peanut butter grits but yeah so that was my uh i to help my dog um i've i've learned a new tool uh to to get him to take his medicine um i mean and, he's, and it's super love, cheap because i already had all the stuff in the house yes i love peanut butter and i also love grits so you know no yeah, i don't know if for I, me i, mean, I don't know if i eat, eat them it. together but you but you can because it's all natural ingredients i did read on the recipe there there's some some peanut butter has this weird chemical in it it's like oh it starts with an X that is bad for dogs, but uh, I'm using all natural peanut butter and I checked to make sure it was not in there. Um, so before you try to make this yourself, listener, check Google uh, peanut butter pill pockets and then like look at some of the recipes and the, the, one of them discusses like to, the chemical to look out for. I know it starts with an X, but so many chemicals in food start with X. So it's probably better. I feel like it's xylitol or something, but I might be wrong. I'm probably I have no wrong. Idea, but, yeah. um, what have you been up to, Corey? Are you making any pill pockets for your cats? Um, no. Um, oh, not doing that. Um, you know, it's been a week. <clears throat> um, tough week. Mm. Uh, one of our bearded dragons died. Sorry, guys, here to be a downer. Oh, I. That's sad stabbed my hand um trying to take a pit out of an avocado and i think it was a little deeper than i initially thought it's finally healing up but i'm just so glad it's the weekend and i'm gonna see my friend tomorrow both wearing masks and we only really go to businesses that limit the amount of customers in there whatever all that stuff and then we're gonna go to the market um and tomorrow's her birthday so i'm excited to give her a birthday gift but um yeah i'm just really glad it's the weekend and yeah hopefully i won't die of heat exhaustion or something because idaho <laughs> one of these days it's supposed to be 101 again it's been like that here like it's been so hot this week um i can't i can't hang <laughs> i just can't do it i don't know yeah. how i'm gonna be old living here with the heat and then the snow i just oh Corey, i don't know if i've shared this i i've um increased my run so I, I was I started off when I first started running I was doing like maybe two miles and then I got to a five k where I was running at least uh, every three days a week I was running you know three point one miles mm-hmm. um, and then I increased it to four maybe a month ago and now I pushed myself to five for like the Holy last shiitake. week so apparently I don't know what it is about Thursdays but the last two Thursdays 
when I ran my uh, five miles, I was so sweaty that when I took a step, <laughs> my shoes would squish uh-huh. like I had walked in a puddle. And it's only been on Thursdays. Like, it literally, it didn't happen Tuesday. It didn't happen Saturday. But the Thursday, which was two days ago when from when we are recording this. Well, two days ago from when you're hearing this. One day ago from when we are recording this. And then the week before on Thursday, I ran. And same thing. I don't know why. It's I don't know what it is about Thursdays that have apparently been even more humid. And I, I, am, I am notoriously a bad sweater. I sweat a lot. It's one of the reasons why I don't like being outside. Because I tend to sweat just from the heat. Um, and the humidity and then running only increases that. And after five miles, I've been running for about an hour at that point, And I am very, 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 very sweaty. And man, I have to like walk home hearing squish, squish. And I'm so embarrassed and also like kind of grossed out by myself. Cause I'm like, how is there this much sweat in my shoe? Like it is insane. <laughs> and I, I did buy a uh, dry fit sock. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. Like, cause it's like pushing the, the sweat out of my, my sock mm. instead of absorbing it. But, um, but yeah, I have to, I run tomorrow and uh, cause I run uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays, which my whole routine's about to get screwed up. Cause I haven't had to go to normal work since March and I've gotten very used to my, my, my ritual running. So now I'm going to start running at night, which if the weather will allow for that because that's been the problem is it rains at night. And so like, I'm kind of freaking out. Like, I don't think I can get up earlier and run. So I, you know, personally, yeah, like, I don't, it's just not, I'm already up too early as it is, but yeah, I don't know how you survive on the sleep you get. Six hours is not so bad. Um, I mean, that's what I survive, what I have too, but I'm miserable. Uh, I don't know. I drink like a lot hours. of coffee. Like I drink a lot of decaf oh. coffee, but there's still, there's still a little bit of caffeine in there, you know? Um, I but substantially less. Oh, see, I stopped having caffeine by about one. Oh, in the... I I drink decaf like almost all day. Um, oh heck! But again, like so, if if you read what like the healthy amount of caffeine, I think it's 170 milligrams or something like that. Maybe it's 200. I forget. But um, you can drink like two pots of decaf and not even get to half of that. Like it's like. 10 milligrams per cup of like decaf versus like 70 milligrams or something it's i've done the math it, it checks out but i have started like in the morning i usually drink caffeinated coffee um or like uh, not as much but still like i do like a cold brew or i i, I cold brew i went into uh the rain and or bang energy drinks for like during the pandemic time um, only for breakfast and only uh, for running days now. Like that's like I tomorrow I will have a rain inferno jalapeno strawberry flavor, which is not for everybody. But I am on a really big jalapeno kick uh, over the last several months, um, and so I do that and then I run. Uh, and it does it it gives me the energy I need to like really like kick it into another gear, uh, which I guess I should share. Um, I one of my goals when I started running was to uh, run a mile in under 10 minutes. And I achieved that on Tuesday. I ran uh, a 9-minute and 49-second mile, Woo! which is the fastest I've ever run a mile in my entire life at age 38. So I'm pretty proud of that, uh, especially because I think it was Saturday. I missed it by 6 seconds. I hit 10.06, and I was so mad because I didn't realize I was that close or I would have like pushed a little harder. And then, um, but yeah, on Tuesday I knocked it out. So now my goal is to run a 5k without stopping, um, but not necessarily as fast. So like, I'm not going to get 
I, at some point I would love to run a 5k in 30 minutes, which would mean three 10 minute miles. That's not happening anytime soon. My current goal is to be able to run nonstop for the entire uh, three miles, which on Thursday when I oversweat, I ran 1.5 miles without stopping. So that's the longest I've ever run without stopping. Damn. So uh, making progress, but um, you know, and I started running in April. So it, it is, it's to me, it's coming really fast because it felt like something I would never be able to do. Like when I first ran, like the first time I'm like, yeah, I can run for like two minutes without stopping. And then I have to like, lay down and take a nap you know so now <laughs> uh, now i'm running a mile without stopping like that's the norm like i every time i run i think there's been once in the last month where i couldn't run the full mile and that was like i was just having a rough morning where i was like having a hard time catching my breath uh and it's it's been crazy um just to feel that change like i mean it's been a, an experience just losing the weight but then also like this is an area of physical physical activity i've never had i've never had stamina i've never been able to run um so it's like really pushing myself in this direction and i've become really into it so that's what i've been doing um not to divert too much into that but um anything else you want to mention before we get into what we've been watching no then let's go to what we've been watching uh you want to go first or second this week i'll go first all right what you've been watching i finished Parks and Rec again. Woo-woo. Um, I love it so much. I just want to watch it again. Um, yeah. I'm. Uh, yeah. I was gonna say oh. nope. Twenty twenty. <laughs> um, they should make real like pins for that. I just love her so much. Um, okay. So I um watched a movie on Prime called Lost Child pretty interesting takes place in Missouri um and a woman finds a child in the woods but it like talks about local folklore and stuff Mm -hmm. a lot I found it kind of interesting I watched an episode of Dr. G Medical Examiner uh not my favorite medical examiner show but um she is based in Orlando which or was based in Orlando so that's kind of cool um and then I started re-watching Powerpuff Girls and since we have to (laughs) differentiate um because you can either watch classic or 2016 which apparently no one has anything good to say about but um aging myself a little bit I love the Powerpuff Girls I used to watch them in high school. Buttercup used to be my favorite, but she has now been replaced by Bubbles. I think that my cat, Clemmy, is Bubbles. Um, And um, I just, I love it a lot. I remember seeing the movie in theaters, you know? Uh, Yeah, I love Powerpuff Girls. And I have had a week, as I said, so my attention span has been non-existent. And that is all I've been watching besides our movie of the week. True that. I have been watching a bunch of movies I can't talk about because I am uh, reviewing movies from the Fantasia International Film Festival, um, which you will be able to uh, watch, if listeners and Corey, if you uh, go to their website, FantasiaFestival.com. Um, and uh, Matt from what I watch tonight.co.uk and my partner on the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast, we just dropped our uh, preview episode where we talk about some of the movies that are going to be at the festival uh, that we are looking forward to seeing um, without talking about whether or not we've seen them or what our thoughts were because 
sometimes we just can't yet. Um, there are a few I can mention that I have seen and uh, really, really enjoyed um, these. Uh, one is called The Columnist, um, which is like, you know, like someone writes a column in a newspaper or a magazine. Um, it's a dark comedy. Uh, have you ever seen Serial Mom? Yeah, but not since I was like really young. Right. Me too. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I loved that movie as a kid. It was like we had HBO and like Cinemax when I was a kid and like anything that was on there, I would watch pretty much every time it came on because I loved movies. So I basically just watched whatever was on HBO or Cinemax, right? Like I'd pick one of those channels and watch those movies. And I watched that movie a lot. Um, so I, I have very fond memories of it. The Columnist reminded me of that. It's a super dark comedy where she is uh, getting like horrific comments from people on Twitter and stuff for like things that she writes. And they'll be like, ah, oh, what a dumb bee and blah, blah, blah. And so she goes to a horrible logical step and she wants to teach them a lesson about being mean. And she teaches them <laughs> that lesson by murder. And that's where it takes on the serial mom kind of element. I found it to be super funny, uh, dark. I thought some of the visuals were just super strong. The performances are great. Um, I, I really enjoyed that movie. And you can watch that on uh, on the Fantasia Film Festival. Um, then I watched this very sweet animated movie called A Costume for Nicholas. And that one is, um, it's not like a Pixar or a, uh, I would even say like a Studio Ghibli that's kind of designed for everybody, like of all ages. Um, a costume for Nicholas feels more like a PBS kids show or like a, a Disney Junior, Nick Junior kind of kids show. It's very clearly geared towards a younger audience, but I, I really thought the animation looked great and the message. Um, it's a the studio that makes it. Um, they make films with a message, and they this particular film they were working for uh, promoting the Special Olympics, and the main character Nicholas in the in the story has Down syndrome, and they they got an actual voice actor with Down syndrome to do the character, and it's. I think in that way, it's very, very powerful. It's very, um, what's the word that I want? Where uh, all encompassing, it brings, you know, all different walks of life into the film. And I think it's really, really cool. It is a uh, Spanish film. Um, I, I was expecting to read subtitles and I was surprised that it was dubbed uh, the version that I was able to see. Um, so I don't know uh, if that is like an option somewhere, but I did see a dubbed version, but it was very well done. Um, and then I watched a movie called Lapsus from the festival which is a sci-fi movie that's kind of about gig workers. Um, are you familiar with that term? Gig workers. I feel like I've heard this term recently. That it's they... a big, exactly. In fact, it's a very, very popular term right now. It's probably been that way for a couple of years, but I wasn't really aware of it until recently, but like Uber drivers, uh, Lyft delivery, you know, mm -hmm. um, Lyft drivers, uh, anyone who's working for like the, the restaurant, um, delivery services like grubhub or uber eats and um what's the other Did similar type of things i didn't that's the other one the shoppers like those types of uh jobs are considered we love you is what well, they they don't right have official employment right like they are yeah. a, a contracted thing it's like modern day freelance work um freelance is the term we used to use now it's gig workers and so lapsus is kind of like a sci-fi parallel version of the gig worker and it's really really interesting and um there's some cool stuff in the movie i enjoyed it so it's uh those three films are again at that festival um aside from that i watched love and basketball for the first time which is a movie i've been wanting to watch pretty much since the year 2000 and just never made it to um and my favorite podcast uh, that i'm not on the blank check uh podcast uh is covering that director and um 
that this week's episode was that film so i i made an effort to fit that into my very very tight schedule um i am watching a lot of movies for this festival and i'm also getting ready to go back to work uh so i've been cramming in as much as i possibly can um i've seen several other movies i just can't talk about them yet so uh, but if you haven't subscribed to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast, Matt and I will be covering the Fantasia Festival movies on that podcast. And, of course, BerkReviews.com will have all of my written reviews. So I ask that you uh, make sure you pay attention and check out the fe- the festival. Um, I know as a, a longtime film person, I was so excited when I finally went to a film festival. That I went to the Florida Film Festival in 2017 for the first time. And I, the first movie I saw there was The Lobster with our friend, a mutual friend, Brendan, who's been a guest on this podcast. Um, that was the first festival movie I'd ever gone. I ever went to. And immediately I was hooked. I was like, Oh, I love going to festivals. And I've been now to South by Southwest and I've been to Tribeca twice. And I've been to Florida film festival several times. I've been to the Gasparilla international film festival and the, um, I think that's it. I think I've covered everything in person. I've gone to those festivals and I was planning on going to Tribeca this year and the coronavirus hit. Thank goodness. Just before I would have been going to New York and being on a subway with people who were infected and probably would have been already infected by this virus had it not happened just before I was like literally like a, like two weeks out from going to the festival, which was then canceled because of the virus, um, or at least altered. Uh, so since then, many festivals have gone online. Um, and I've, I've watched several movies from a few different festivals. And so far, uh, I really want to encourage that people who have wanted to go, but maybe didn't have the resources, um, the, the time, because it's, it's a, it's usually, unless you live in the same city as the festival's happening, it's an effort to go. Uh, it costs a little bit of money. Check out some of these films on these online festivals, not, not necessarily just Fantasia. There's a lot of festivals are doing online versions of their festivals right now. This is an opportunity to see films that otherwise you'd have to wait forever. Um, a great example, Corey, not too long ago, you rented Swallow. Mm-hmm. I saw that a year ago at Tribeca, and it took a year for you to be able to rent it on a streaming service because of like the whole process. Because they go to a festival hoping to get distribution, and once they get distribution, the distribu- distributors have to decide how are they going to distribute. Are they going to do a small theatrical run like in major cities? Are they going to go straight to VOD? What's going to be the most financially profitable for that movie? does this movie have a chance for any awards? Are they going to hit other festivals? Like there's so many factors right now because of the pandemic, the only bright side I can really pull from it is that these great independent films that maybe you would have to wait a year or more to see, you can watch right now from the comfort of your own home for a nominal fee. Like uh, most of the time they're less than what you would pay for a rental, um, like for the, in theater rentals that we are seeing on voodoo like when trolls world tour was twenty dollars or the upcoming disney mulan uh on disney plus will require that one you have a disney plus membership and then two you pay thirty dollars to uh, see the movie that's a lot this these tickets are much cheaper usually i can't i'm not going to quote because i don't know what all the prices are but depending on the festival depending on the movie depending on the situation of how you view the film most of these are much more affordable and it's a great way to see movies that otherwise you just may not get the opportunity to see and are definitely worth seeing. Don't assume because you've never heard of the filmmaker, you've never heard of the actors, or you've never heard of the film that it's not good. Keep in mind, at some point, no one knew who Brad Pitt was. Martin Scorsese was just the guy from New York. Like These people are famous now because they made great works of art that we have pushed into the world. You might be on the cusp or the precipice of finding one of those filmmakers or one of those actors or actresses 
if you give these independent films an opportunity. So you got nothing else to do because you're sitting at home. There's no theater to go to. There's no big blockbusters this summer. Check out some of these online festivals and see what they're offering. Because like I said, uh, the three movies I just mentioned that I saw at Fantasia Fest, I would say uh, A Costume for Nicholas, if you have young kids, worth a watch. Um, probably not where you want to go f- if you're looking for more like grown-up type entertainment. But if uh, Lapsus, if you're into sci-fi or if you're into dark comedy and or horror, The Columnist is definitely worth checking out. Again, um, these are – I get nothing from this festival. Like I'm not promoting the festival in that way. They're not paying this podcast. I generally like those movies. There is one movie I could talk about, but we've been asked to withhold not positive criticisms until the festival officially begins, which is August 20th. Um, so I'm I'm honoring that. We're not required to, but it's a courtesy. And again, it I don't look – like the movie that I have a criticism, it's not severely bad. It's just the movie didn't quite work for me on a level that I want to talk about it. Like it, it's definitely not a recommend where I, if you don't mind dark comedy, I already said what the column was about. I have a, I love dark comedy. So for me, that movie was just right in my wheelhouse. It made me laugh probably too much. Cause you know, it's dark times. And, um, I just I really want to encourage and Corey, I'm actually I'm I'm talking to our listeners, but I'm also talking to you because I know. Well, like, so I, I have questions about this. I don't like to watch movies on my computer. Understood. Can I watch them on my TV somehow? It depends on your computer. I don't have your laptop in front of me, but if you have an HDMI port on oh, your God. computer. I don't know. Bill, you're, you're <laughs> talking to my husband. Yeah. Um, then you could potentially plug it in like you would plug an Xbox, and it should work. It doesn't always, but it should. I have not tested that. I tend to just watch them on my computer because I get a lot of screeners that I can only watch on my computer. Um, so I get used to that anyways. Um, but uh, because screeners are mostly digital now, they don't do disc unless you're like part of the Academy. And even that seems to be going digital. Um, but... Uh, like there are some again some methods where you could potentially like broadcast from your computer like if you have a mac and you have an apple tv you can send it that way you you should be able to in theory from a chrome browser send it to like a chromecast or a tv with chromecast or a roku often has a chromecast ability so sometimes sometimes um i have not tested this so i can't swear to it but those are methods that people often will stream from like a device to their television um so it's not impossible and some like xbox has a browser i don't know how great it plays movies but it's possible um that you could use their the built-in browsers on the the game systems to like go to the fantasia film festival website and try i don't know if it would work oh i see what you mean okay. yeah because that's all you're doing here you're going to a browser you're typing in their address you're paying and you're watching the movie um so i don't know but it's it's definitely a possibility um and I'm sure, like you could test it. I just, I just uh, usually watch it on my computer. Um, you were telling me about a movie. Uh, from did you buy like a pass, or are you buying tickets to the movies individually? I don't know what I'm allowed to say, but I am an accredited member of the press at this festival. Is what I will say. Um, okay. And, and don't, please don't mention the name of that movie because that's not. It's under embargo. So. Well, also, I forgot what it is because that's my memory. <laughs> but um, I was just looking, just so that people know, I was looking at this their website. Um, and all that I'm seeing is, like, individual tickets, but they're only $8 Canadian. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, $6 U.S. 
six right. U.S. dollars. So I don't um, know if any if any of the online festivals are doing like a badge, like at like South by or at like the Florida film festival or uh, Tribeca, you can buy a badge that gets you into multiple movies. Um, or you can buy individual tickets for specific movies. Uh, I don't know if any online festival has done a badge type scenario. It seems like most are doing individual movies, but mm-hmm. they're, they're usually around. I've seen as low as $7 at some festivals. And I think I've seen as much as 15 to 20 but those are for like bigger. Well, keep in mind again, like if you were renting Mulan, it's going to be 30. So some movies do have that kind of credibility that play at festivals. Not all movies are small independent films at festivals. Usually a festival will get one or two like big productions to try to like draw people in and then, okay, now check out these other smaller films that you haven't heard of, but are worth your time. And, um, and keep in mind just because I like a movie doesn't mean you're inherently going to like a movie, but uh, for you and I, at this point, I tend to have an idea of your taste. Um, usually. So I, usually. <laughs> every once in a while, I'm wrong. And that's sometimes it's fun uh, for this podcast because I'm like, I don't know if Corey will like this movie. Um, <laughs> like, I felt that way with Breathless last week. And that's why I sent you those things. Like, I'm like, I feel like the context <laughs> here. Will make it does you, matter. Uh, make you appreciate it. Uh, it did. So, um, and I'm not sure about this movie this week. Actually, I'm kind of curious. I, I'm oh. leaning towards. I'm leaning towards that you loved it, but I'm not sure. So I'm curious to see what we're going to get into momentarily. Um, but th- that's what I've been watching. Oh, oh no! I have to one last thing, listeners, because I've been talking about this for way too long. I finished Gilmore Girls, the regular show, the seven original seasons of Gilmore Girls. I finished yesterday morning. And I am very happy to be done with it. Not that I didn't like it, but it, it seven seasons is a lot of a 42 minute long uh, episode show. So I was, I was happy to like, Oh my gosh, that was a, that was a marathon. Um, I have four episodes of the Netflix. Uh, it's called a year in the life. And I didn't realize this until this morning. Cause I've watched one of those episodes already is that each episode is a season. So that's why it's a year in the life. So it starts with winter. Then it's going to go to uh, spring and then, summer fall um which i thought was odd to start with winter because that's like lorelei loves snow so i kind of feel like that's where it should have ended but you know whatever um but i started that so i'm almost completely done with gilmore girls i have three more episodes unfortunately they are much longer they're basically four movies they're an hour and a half each um i think at least the first one was an hour and a half so i I just made an assumption that they're all that way well it's only four episodes because i was expecting it to be like a full like netflix style season which is usually 13 episodes so I'm I'll take four episodes at an hour and a half because it's basically uh it's basically eight episodes give or take um a few minutes there but uh you know it's it it's soulless by comparison um I feel like like if you are a, a study if you are a person who studies film as much as I study film there is a very very specific look to the first seven seasons of the Gilmore Girls that immediately is out the window with the Netflix series. Like the amount of production they put into the Netflix series makes the very charming nature of the small town in which the Gilmore girls is set and centered around feel like it's not a small town at all. And I think it loses the charm immediately just because of the visual choices of the show uh, of the Netflix series. And that's, that's, immediately disappointing the only thing i'll say is that my favorite character is prominent and in the forefront and so that's good news but that's where i'll end Um, that's what i've been watching um we'll be right back after our sponsor to discuss a portrait of a lady on fire 
All right, we are back. Uh, Corey, let's get into the stats of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So this movie came out in 2019. Um, it is a romance on an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century. A female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. Um, I didn't know what a wedding portrait was, by the way, until this. I, I assumed it was like a portrait of her after the wedding. This was like her Tinder profile. It was like, hey, <laughs> I need to see what you look like before I commit to you. <laughs> Send me a picture. <laughs> and this was they had there was no camera. So you had to paint a portrait. So I was like, oh, makes perfect sense. I just didn't like when I read that description before it didn't register. This was her trying to get married. Kind of we'll get into that with the plot, but it stars Noemi Merlant, Adeli Hanel, I'm butchering these names, uh, Luana Barjami, Valerie Galino. And that's pretty much it. Um, everyone else that shows up is barely in it. Those are the four uh, four majors wrong. There's two major, one much more minor, um, like the maid servant is in it quite a bit. And then the mom is in it very little. Uh, written and directed by Celine Sciami. Sciami? Mama? I'm so sorry. Um <laughs> I really should practice more. Um, oh, wow. That's an image. Um, I'm surprised some of the images on IMDb. So has a 95 Metascore, an 8.1 IMDb user score, which is really high, honestly, for uh, this type of movie. Um, Corey, what'd you think? Um, I can't believe that you didn't know how I would feel about this. I loved it. Thank okay. you I, for I mean, I thought you would. the recommendation, Kamau. Uh Yeah like we are best friends with him and know him on a first name basis. Um, I want to feel that way. <laughs> um, I, I had like kind of heard about this movie, but not really. Like, I don't know how to explain it. I didn't know a lot going in either, but I just think that this movie had so much to say and I oh, loved yeah. every bit of it. Um, I actually thought this was nominated for an Oscar and it was not. And I was really what? surprised. Um, it was nominated for a Golden Globe um, and for a BAFTA, uh, but not for the Oscar for the best picture uh, for uh, in a, what do they, they changed it from foreign language film to, um, oh, I forgot what they called it this year. They called it something different to try to be more appropriate because of uh, Alfonso Cuaron made a joke about for him all the american films are foreign language films and so it like kind of recontextualized the name foreign language film yeah um, i can't remember what they called it last year international, international best international feature film there it is and i i just assumed it was nominated but it wasn't um but it it did get best foreign language film nominee at golden globes and at the baftas but did not win um either one of those awards um but uh, enough people were talking about it around the oscar season because i think people were saying it was snubbed um that it'd been on my radar for a while. Uh, Big Tuna, I, if I remember correctly, was a big fan. Um, and uh, I've been meaning to get to it, and I just kept putting it off, putting it off. And I bought the uh, the Criterion Cold, um, partially, as you mentioned, Camille, because Camille uh, highly recommended. He watched this during the pandemic. There was a whole episode where they talked about it on the uh, Emily and Camille Staying In podcast, which is only 12 episodes long, but worth listening to. Um, although it probably doesn't hold up well because it was like kind of reacting to the world as it was falling apart around us um anyways uh i liked it a lot as well so it sounds like both of us were very positive on this movie wow um i see what you it... mean about some of the stills <laughs> oh yeah right i was like wow that, that <laughs> seems like four, a risky guys. uh 
risky, risky. Uh, to just have on like the the website that's accessible to everybody always like yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> but who am i i had to go look for it um i uh, so we've talked about this before um you have a very fortunate birthday timing because your birthday is right around the criterion sale yes and then the other criterion sale because it happened twice a year is around christmas so um i just want to say we both blind buy movies or Mm -hmm. i mean you know buy these movies without watching them um and i i've i've liked all of mine that i've purchased so far and some of them i i buy they are favorites like hedwig or like ghost world um but a lot of them i just buy without even knowing you know I I watch this on Hulu because I'm lazy and I'm also very bad at putting things away. So if I did watch my Criterion, it was probably going to sit on my desk, my like dresser for like two or three weeks, at least, at least. Um, And I just love how convenient streaming is. Um, But I don't think I've ever been so happy to buy a movie that I've never watched before. Wow. Wow, that's awesome! I love hearing that. Um, so you did, you were able to get this on Criterion too, though. I didn't know that that you lucked out because um, I wanted to mention uh, because of the pandemic. I assume the the Criterion sale was like a huge success, apparently, and like Barnes and Nobles were sold out of so many movies, which I've never seen happen on such a scale. Like every once in a while, it's like, oh, this one is missing, or they're out of this particular movie. But it seemed like across the board they were out of so many movies they, i i also so i already own inside lewin davis but oh. it's one of my favorite movies ever and it has just held a special place in my heart since the first time i watched it um and i've been i finally decided it's like do i need to buy another copy of this movie um and i finally decided yes i do um <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to, but it was sold out. It was sold out. And I, there's another website that like closely mimics the sale. It's not quite as cheap. Uh, it's a few dollars more, but you get free shipping. I'm sure everyone talks, knows who I'm talking about, but I try not to support them a lot. And, you know, it was $29 on there. So I was like, I'll just wait. But yeah, I did get Portrait of Lady on Fire. I, bought grand budapest hotel because somehow i didn't already own that and then i bought mystery train by uh directed by jim jarmusch uh i am a big jarmusch fan um is it so jarmusch or jarmusch i have heard it both tell I us i do not know yes let us know uh <laughs> probably in text where we won't know what you're saying but nonetheless um i i was able to get this movie and the bruce lee box set which i was like determined to get the bruce lee box set um of my Criterion collection, I still have several I've not watched, Same. but the only one that I didn't love was I bought because of Blank Check. Um, they were doing the Jonathan Demi series, and I got – actually, I believe you bought it for me for Christmas as a master builder, Oh yeah, um, which is a Wallace Shawn film, and it's really weird, <laughs> and it's definitely um, not one of Demi's best movies. It's not, it's not bad. It's just really, really inaccessible. It is like – it feels like a – wannabe david lynch film and it doesn't quite know that it's a david lynch film it is it is not easy and it's kind of boring um that's where it loses the lynchness i want to give a shout out to letterbox i'm a i'm a big advocate for letterbox um you know they have a star rating where you can give like a movie five stars or whatever 
for only for Portrait of a Lady on Fire, instead of stars, it's five flames that you can get. Yes, that's the best. And I've not, I've, I've logged a lot of movies on Letterboxd and I've not seen that until just now. I was like, well, that's, I was like, did they change their Obviously system? they're fans. Right. I, I, was, I thought maybe they changed the system instead of stars were doing fire, but no, it's only for this movie. And I'm like, that's freaking great. I love this site so much. Um, yeah. Uh, but, um. So it, it, Corey and I are both big, uh, big fans of this film. Um, we both bought it. We both own it. And uh, I do want to go back and actually, I, one of the things that I'm not taking advantage of, aside from the fact that I have Blu-rays that I've not watched, I've never used any of the special features on my oh, Criterion box sets. Me neither. One of the big sells of those box sets are the special features. So I really need to go back in and like use them. I mean, the other big sell is that you always get a really high quality version of the film um that the print that it's not mm-hmm. technically a print but the quote-unquote print that we're uh getting on the criterion box sets are supposed to be like the best um they're they're the highest resolution highest quality um remastered and that's it's like the seal of approval when you get a criterion film that you're getting this really great piece of art uh in the best way possible so at least that I've utilized, but I've not utilized any of the, the special features, which most of these discs, uh, some come with bonus discs, but um, most at the very least have really good interviews and or commentary. And I've not utilized any of those. I think with this movie, I'm going to, cause I'm really, really compelled by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot to take away from this film. And I don't think I got all of it from my first viewing. Um, I will say for a film that is uh, one quiet um and not in a bad way but it, it's like the time period like they're on an, a remote island there's like no people so it's quiet it's just like by the nature there's not a whole lot going on there's no cars there's no like you know busy busy city like it's just three people in a giant building that on an island so there's not a lot of noise um you know but uh man i just found them to be so engrossing the 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 performances, the body language, the cinematic language that is uh, going on by the director. It's just a powerful film. I very rarely, like I love cinematography. I'm a, I'm a fan of it, but during a movie, it's very rare for me to be arrested by a shot where I'm just like, Oh my God, that shot is amazing. I like took a picture of a shot and like sent it to Sean or big tuna because I was like, dude, this freaking shot, like the framing of it, the look of it, and also what was in the shot. Like, I won't get into that because I feel like it could be a spoiler. I was so, like, kind of stunned. And even just how they, like, not just, like, the shot had narrative relevance. And I was a little, like, what's going on? Like, in a good way, like, that it was, it's there to make you start to ponder things. But it was more like, how the heck did they do that? Like, that seems so difficult to pull this shot off. And I loved it. And, um... Uh, that doesn't happen with a lot of movies for me. And that's not to say that other movies don't do that. It's just like, it's like the same thing I always say with scores and movies like Corey, you're a big fan of score. Like you will mention, Oh, the movie score. I tend to not notice a good score, not because it's not good because I'm watching it holistically and I just take it as part of the film. And so I don't acknowledge it as a separate thing I could be critiquing. Um, It's probably my biggest weakness as a critic is I tend to ignore the score outside of its role in fulfilling its job, which is, you know, establishing mood or tone. I get that feeling, but that's it. I just feel it. I don't always acknowledge it. A lot of times if a score stands out to me, it's usually a bad thing. Like I, 
am not a fan of um, it follows it follows score because uh. I I will I will I will blame the headphones I was watching it with stereo headphones so it was very in my ears and I just found it to be like over the top and distracting more so than like atmospheric or interesting I, I'm in the severe minority that score is beloved by many many people so I'm not I'm not criticizing the music itself I'm more I guess I'm criticizing the sound mix I thought it was too over overwhelming and overpowering um but again that's not the point that's one of the few times i remember really like a score standing out to me outside of like big themes like the pirates of the caribbean theme you you just know right or like uh et or jurassic park those themes are one many of those are john williams themes and or hans zimmer but um those are are meant to like stand out but i'm talking more like the general music of a film those don't always stand out to me same things a lot of times with, with individual shots or framing I see them and in the moment I'm aware of them, but it also quickly goes to the next frame and my brain is just watching the whole thing. This movie in a good way, I was just stunned at the beauty of so much of it, which makes sense in a film that's about art to a degree and about beauty to a degree that the, the cinematography itself would speak that way. And I, I do, I should give credit to the cinematographer is Claire Ma- uh, Mathen, Mathen, um, again, butchering names of this, the people in this movie, but um, I have not seen any of their work outside of uh, this film, but man, she has, uh, I'm assuming Claire is a female. I'm being bold in that assumption, but um, she definitely has a knack for visuals because man, this movie is arresting. And you sounded like you agreed with that when I mentioned it. It's one of the most beautiful films I think I've ever seen. I feel like, um, so I was thinking about this movie the other day Um and I think that it's such a beautiful movie and it kind of reminded me of it. Um, the others. Ooh. Um, there were some like visual elements that really reminded me of that movie. But I, 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 I just I think that the, I don't know. Sometimes you, I don't know. I can love a movie for the storyline or I can love a movie for how it looks, but I loved everything. Mm-hmm right there are some movies that have like this is enough to make me love it just this one part of it and then other movies do have like they check every box and they like every element of it is just so perfectly crafted and that's it it would be hard to argue against that with this movie like what what is wrong with this movie is a very hard question to answer i can see there are some elements of the narrative that you might like you as not Corey, you but like you as a listener maybe you have a perspective that doesn't connect with what this movie is selling and it could easily make you dislike this movie but if you are not of a certain mindset then i i just hard pressed to imagine anything about this film that you don't love and i will even say i have a bad habit of not liking movies in this time period um i am i am not specifically this time period but like just movies before the turn of the century like 1900s i tend to uh that's not even true i i don't like what's her name i'm gonna forget her name what's pride and prejudice i don't tend to like movies like that that's it i don't tend to like jane austen stories um not always like i like emma i i like the biting kind of more comedic ones um but i don't always like those stories i often find them bland and i was a little concerned because of the uh the style of clothes that you initially are introduced to i'm like is this going to be one of those kind of boring period pieces 
Oh yeah, they are. Um, I want but, that green dress. I'll wear it every day. But this isn't a boring period piece at all. Um, and they they do we we have we're not in spoiler territory yet. But they I I don't feel like this is a spoiler. They do tie some Greek mythology into the film in interesting ways. Like it's built in naturally because uh, there's no TV, so people read books, so they're reading stories from ancient Greece, and so you get some Greek. Uh, myth into it which i am a, always a big fan of so like that immediately i was like "Ooh, interesting and then how it ties into the actual narrative i was oh i just loved um very very much uh this is also one of those movies that i i loved it when i saw it but the more i've thought on it for 24 hours um and i i know the future the more i'm gonna be like this movie holy crap uh man and again even the image that we, I think, I assume we were both talking about the same image on IMDb because I skimmed through and I didn't see any other <laughs> ones that were so shocking. Um, yeah. But that, Our that American image, sensibilities. Right. But it's amazing <laughs> at the same time, right? Like, it's such a, like, arresting image. And it's not nudity, but it implies nudity. And that's, I think, why it's oh, so shocking. Oh, there's complete oh, nudity. There, well, that's, we were not on talking about On page four. Picture. Yeah. I didn't go through all those pages. Um, and also, I'm looking at it on the app, so I don't know if it's oh, organized the same way or not. Word. But, uh. Not that now I feel dirty because I'm not going looking because that's I did go looking for it. (laughs) I was like, what did they put on IMDb? I don't have pro. I just have regular IMDb. But oh, you're right. There is nudity on these pictures. Wow. IMDb. This is right. Like my filter at work blocks this website. (laughs) I feel uh, like they don't usually use that. Also, this movie, like this page has a lot of images. It has over eleven hundred images. I don't right. know if I've seen another movie on IMDb that has had that many. I mean, that's a lot of images like for them to it's like they've taken every frame, but that kind of proves our point. There is a, a great YouTube channel called Every Frame of Painting that has unfortunately ended. It hasn't updated in like a year or two, but um, it's an expression relating to film that every frame of, of film is a painting. And this movie exemplifies that so much that and i think that imdb page kind of proves that like every frame is on here basically like it's insane to think how many amazing shots are in this film and how perfectly crafted it is and because we have a female director um the there is no male gaze so the the uh women are treated very respectfully so even when they are naked it doesn't feel gross or demeaning or um exploitative in any way um it feels very natural and organic and the nudity that there is doesn't feel shocking or jarring even in those images it's a little jarring to see it on imdb because that's not usually something you would yeah. see um but it's still not like i don't know i don't feel it's like just it's so like, natural i don't right it doesn't feel like you stumbled upon like a pornographic magazine or something it's yeah. just like oh there's nudity but okay it's just you get it like it's it's there um and that's i think and again we are american so we do have that like ingrained puritanical perspective that nudity is wrong um which maybe you know at this point we shouldn't we've watched plenty of french cinema at this time uh <laughs> um and i uh but yeah um i guess we should yeah. get into spoilers because we've been we've been talking we clearly love this movie uh, i think this might be the longest we've ever talked about a movie and not gotten into spoilers <laughs> so um let's do that Guys, from here on out, we're going to talk about 2019's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. In great detail, you have been warned. So, I the shot that I took a picture of was the first time that... Um, I'm going to forget character names. Uh, man, 
Are they not listed here? Oh, there's Heloise. Yes, which uh, the first time um, Marianne sees the ghostly image of Heloise, um, where she looks to the doorway and this Heloise in all white standing there and then face floating. Right, right. It's so it's such an arresting shot for so many reasons, just the way it looks and the way she's lit. It's like it's it's unnatural. It's like, how did they pull that off? And I'm, I've am i read many tricks about making ghosts appear on film, like with using glass and reflections. And I'm sure it was one of those. It definitely feels very practical, but it's just, it's so gorgeous. And also like the narrative intrigue that happens at that moment. Cause I'm like, what is she seeing? Is that, is she imagining that? Is there a ghost? Is it the sister? Um, you know, I had so many, like my brain was just running. It also, it made me think of Rebecca, the Alfred Hitchcock oh, film yeah. that we watched a while back. Um, not that this movie has a lot with Rebecca, but there's definitely elements of Rebecca built into this. Um, not extensively, but I think there is definitely some influence into that, that story and stylistically. Um, and uh, that, that comes back with the, um, is it, is it not Oedipus um, Orpheus uh, story. Is that, oh, I'm screwing up the story. The Greek story of the guy who, is trying to bring his wife back from the underworld um oh my gosh uh but you know like i love that element of the movie that it ties into the narrative in such natural ways and so great um i love all of the relationships in this movie too i i love the the servant girl and how they become like a little trio of friends it's so so great i i absolutely adore this movie And, and again the more i'm thinking on it the more i'm just like oh my god there's so many things in this movie to appreciate and love uh, just absolutely fantastic. Excellent uh, example of great cinema. A good example of why people should, if you're not comfortable with subtitles, get out of that habit. There's great films from all over the world too. Independent films that are much smaller in budget and don't have you know explosions and stuff are super powerful if well crafted. And this is just a great example of all of those things. Which kind of makes me think of um, the... Oh, what is, oh, how am I such a horrible, I have such a bad memory. I wasn't even planning to think about this, but it reminds me of like the French movement that we just talked about with Breathless. Like, I can only imagine that they get to have more freedom with what they're doing and their writing, hopefully, when they're these smaller, like more independent Mm, films. For sure. That was one of the Uh, things that Godard said with uh, the French New Wave is what he liked is being able to to do whatever it was that he wanted without the restrictions of a studio uh, enforcing rules and diatribes. And that's one of the benefits of independent cinema is that um, the voice of the writer is often unfiltered and able to say what they want to say without like worry. Cause what studios start to worry about is the commercialization is who's going to want to see this, who's going to pay for this. And a lot of times they are wrong. Uh, it's been proven like for a long time, there was a, a, a very racially discriminative point of view that nobody wants to see a movie with a black lead or nobody wants to see an Asian rom-com, which uh, crazy rich Asians proved them completely wrong. That movie super overperformed what Hollywood expected it to do and proved that there is a market for every film. Every voice has an audience if given the opportunity to be heard and independent cinema has known that the downside is independent cinema doesn't get the exposure because they're independent. They don't have the resources that Hollywood studios have to market their movies. This is just another great example. And this one's on Hulu. That's the beauty of it. If you have Hulu, you have access to this amazing film 
right now and you can watch it now Corey and i we we bought it we didn't have to but something in us our collectors knew that this was going to be worth our effort um we had enough recommendations from people that we trust and man neither of us have buyer's remorse and that's a great feeling yes um i i think that they're oh this whole movie is so beautiful but i loved all of the scenes that were completely pitch black except for like the subject um Mm -hmm. because there are a few times that marianne is walking through the house and it's just completely pitch black around her and she looks like she's floating and it looks unnatural but it's just so beautiful and then of course when we see heloise in what ends up being her wedding dress um but i also loved like each of their stories like uh marianne heloise and sophie's and how oh how their lives are so affected by society, I guess. Um, because Sophie, we end up finding out, is pregnant. And she seems very young. Yeah. And she does not want the baby. And what she is trying to do to take care of that. And they help her. Um, or they're there with her. And then Heloise is being married off because her sister died and was promised into this marriage and she doesn't want that and even like marianne how it her being a woman affects her art and how she can learn and practice it um that she's not supposed to paint or draw the male nude male figure but she gets away with it because she does it in secret and that's okay um so i just thought it was very interesting seeing like and they all seem to be different social classes you know yeah just how it's affecting all of them separately and i love when i mean maybe you knew before me or at a different time but i love when i figure out that they're falling in love Mm. um when uh heloise is posing for the portrait and um marianne goes up to her and she's like when you're when you feel this way you do this and they start talking about each other's mannerisms yep i love that part well, what's so powerful about that is one of the things that I love about my my extensive study of film of, after all of these years is I do feel like I'm I'm really good with reading body language um, because a lot of really well-made movies rely on you being able to interpret a character's feelings by looking at them and, and seeing like if they do this, if they lean this way, if they do that, what are they thinking? What are they feeling without the voiceover telling you, right? That's why mm-hmm. we say voiceover is a crutch is you should be able to tell based on the actor's performance and your ability to interpret what they're feeling. And this movie relies so heavily on body language. And then there's the conversation where they talk about the body language and it's like, wow, they're doing the thing we're doing. And if you've been keeping up with it, you already knew what they were getting to. And if you weren't, it makes you rethink everything you've been watching because all those little mannerisms are there. Like, I love the scene where she's trying to study her face so she can draw her in secret. And so oh, she's trying to yes. look but not look. And, like, there's this really interesting framing, too, where, like, we're looking at Marianne's face from the profile. And when she turns, we can see Heloise. And then when she turns back to, like, not look at her, she's, you know, we, we get this really cool exchange and it's, it's such patience on the director's part to not cut to a different angle, to stay on that one side. It's, it's just, 
masterful and it tells us so much and we get a little bit because there's a lot of fun in this movie there's like a you know like it's like you're in on the joke you know you're with them like they're laughing at these little silly personal things but you're with them so it's a, you're laughing at those little personal things you know there's no like literal jokes necessarily being told but it's just these moments of joy and happiness and man if you, if it's not uh contagious when you watch this film of i course, thought there's sadness oh yes i thought that uh the whole wedding portrait thing was interesting um well i mean they say it's a wedding portrait but i guess he could say no <laughs> if he gets it and he doesn't think you're attractive enough um right. And she you doesn't know, even want it. That's what makes it the worst, right? Like she doesn't it want so the proposal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that she's been taken out of the convent, co- covenant, covenant, comment, convent, comment, convent. Words, yeah. guys. Way too many uh, vowels in there. Um, I, real quick to interrupt. Uh, I did verify. I was right. It was Orpheus. Uh, the wife's name was Eurydice. Um, so my my bad for doubting myself. I was confident, but then I got really paranoid. Um, because I knew at the end when they, when she shows her painting of it, the guy refers to Eurydice, not Orpheus. And that's what threw me off. I was like, wait, he didn't say Orpheus there. And that's oh, yeah. male, male ego that I was thinking it would be named after the male and not the, the wife, which makes much more sense. But you know, my bad. I'm trying everybody. I try, but sometimes that male gene just kicks in. I gotta <laughs> tell it to go away. Um, I, Hmm. Hmm. I mean, also that you can paint a wedding portrait or a portrait in six days because we hear about all of these artists that they spend years and years and years on these paintings yeah i i mean she and like it wasn't even like it was six days or whatever and then she got extra time uh when she wrecks the painting it like it hurt me like i was yeah. like genuinely like whoa don't do that like you know, like, just leave it. Paint on the other canvas, you know? Um, I mean, I, I there's so... I even, like, I love the framing device that this movie is her memor- remembering this story after uh, she's teaching other girls to draw, which is important because you mentioned, like, the restrictions on women's ability to draw, and here she is teaching a whole room full of women how to, to uh, paint. And um, isn't the- she... Oh, sorry. Isn't she no, initially no. posing nude at the very beginning for them? Um, I don't know if she was nude or not. It definitely could have been. A figure drawing is not uncommon. We don't see her nude there. No. Um, but she, she, somebody brought out a portrait um, of a lady on fire and uh, poses who, who did this. She says, I did. And then that's where we kind of enter into the story of this painting, which we never see that painting, which I think is important that we don't see it done, implying she probably painted it years later um, or maybe as a memory so she wouldn't forget or whatever. Um, she's clearly a skill set she has developed is like a photographic memory where she's able to paint from memory, which is something that I would say is generally not how it's done. Uh, but she's clearly like the story about her painting the new, the male nude figure implies that she would have had to like look at it, commit it to memory and then paint it later. And then we see her as how she has to initially paint um, Helena. Helena. Did I screw that up? Heloise. There it is. Um, and then, uh, you know, so like it would make sense that she was able to do the the very fleeting moment of when her dress caught on fire, uh, which is the poster for this film. Um, 
I mean, there's uh, like the IMDb amount of images implies we could literally probably talk about this movie as long as the movie is, if not longer, because of our own interpretations and things we're going to add. This is a movie I think everybody should experience. Obviously, if you are um, if you're not okay with a lesbian relationship, you are going to take some issue with the narrative. Um, But more than likely, if you're listening to this podcast, you have a little bit more open mindedness to that. this is a, a movie that depicts a lesbian relationship in a way that is uh, in no way overly sexualized or a male fantasy of a lesbian relationship um, because most likely it is not written. Well, it is not most likely it is not written by a man, thus most likely a much more connected feminine story being told, um, which is important. We want, I don't, I don't know anything about this director. I don't know if she, um, if she re- identifies as a lesbian or not, um, but Either way, we you don't get that male take on a lesbian relationship, which is mostly gross, right? Like in most scenarios, I, the only one that pops into mind immediately who has gotten credit from the LBGTQ community for his uh, take on the, the topic was Chasing Amy, Kevin Smith from uh, mid-90s. Now, not to say that that in any way does what this movie does. Not at all. But point being... Often, if a person is trying to write a story that they have no experience in, it's very, very challenging to do that. Um, thus, you know, the the obstacle of only white men making movies for so long. Most of our stories are male centric white guys doing things. Um, the more open voices we get, the better off uh, these films can be. And I, I this is a masterpiece. There, there is no other way to say it. No, And I love the ending, too. Or like you know now interesting question about the ending um do you love uh which because there's kind of two endings right um because we're told the last time she saw her and then we cut to like an art exhibit where we see her painting of uh eurydice and um she sees a portrait of heloise with a child which is initially heartbreaking because it implies that not only did she get married, but she's moved on. She's had a family. But then there's that really awesome. No, oh, I uh, love that. The page number, like the little. 28. Yeah. So cool. And it could have ended there. But it doesn't. She saw her one more time in person because that first time's kind of like a, a red herring, right? Like one more time. Ah, but she didn't really see her. She saw a painting of her. No, no, she actually saw her in person at a uh, performance, like an orchestra performance, which we, from what we've learned of the movie, I think our assumption is either one, it is um, her first time hearing an orchestra play, or now this is something she does all the time, but she still has, she's moved to uh, extreme tears. So when you say you love the ending, which ending? I loved, I loved both, actually. I loved... I love those little so because the first time with the painting it's page twenty eight and yes you know she, she uh, Marianne did that portrait of herself on page twenty eight in this book that they were reading and then because she wouldn't have an image to remember her by and I loved that Marianne was still happy and smiling when she saw her daughter. Um, because there's still happiness there for Heloise. Mm-hmm. And then with um, with the orchestra, to me, 
I think that she goes to them to feel connected to Marianne because we don't really know if it's the first time or what ah. that is with it. Um, but I definitely felt like it was reminding her of that relationship and that that made Marianne happy as well. I wonder why she didn't talk to her, <laughs> but <laughs> resume well, that romance on the down low. What? I, I think the, uh, the interpretation conversation of the myth, um, when they read the myth at the table with the three of them uh, and they each have wondering. a different take on it. I think that is Im- super important to like unlocking a lot of what the movie is saying. Obviously that, that um, motif comes into play a few times, her painting of Eurydice, the, uh, the literal, when she says turn around, which is, that's part of the debate is like, why did he turn around? You know, all he had to do was get out and he would have her. And then, you know, one says he couldn't resist because he loved her so much. He couldn't wait to see her. And then the other perspective is like, no, what if she told him to turn around? Cause she would rather, you know, him move on and just have the memory, which is clearly what a big part of this movie is, is do you not have an experience that, you know, you're going to lose like that you can't keep even though that experience will give you great joy in the time that you have it if you know it's going to be limited do you not experience it and that is always a debate that we have is it worth the time is it worth the pain because you know you're going to feel loss but Mm -hmm. will that moment of love and joy out outlive that loss and that's we're always trying to find the balance of that is it you know if you've ever had heartbreak, you know what that debate is. Like, do I, I don't know if I ever want to be in love again, you know, like uh, it's too hurtful, but it's only hurtful because of how extremely great it was when you had it. Right. Otherwise it wouldn't be hurtful. It would just be like, Ooh, thank God that's over. And <laughs> I think that moment uh, of yeah. her, like looking across the, the thing and not going to her, not looking to seek her out is knowing that that moment is perfect as it was. It's, in a way, it's almost like they, they say don't meet your heroes because often they will disappoint you. They won't live up to your expectations that you've made in your own mind. And so she's encapsulated that time with her as this great moment of passion and love that was only 12 full days, right? I think if you yeah. calculate and anything now, it's like they can't get that back, right? It's only going to bring back the pain and maybe the longing. And even if they had one more moment together they have to relive through all of that. I mean, it's that she let her go. She said, turn around. She looked one last time and then that was it. And that's why it's my assumption. Why she sees the ghostly image of her in that dress. Those two times before is like, she was seeing her in the underworld and there was no way for her to bring her back from the underworld. She's, you know, she's lost to her, but they'll always have that, that time they spent together, you know? (sighs) Yeah, what what a great film! I love all of all of it, how it ties together the the performances, which we barely really spoke about the actors themselves, both amazing, and the actress who plays Marianne, her eyes are like anime eyes. Like the only actress I could think of that has similar eyes is, oh, why can I not think of her name? But she was Alita Battle Angel, and I think Marianne could be the next Alita Battle Angel because they have similar eyes. They're just gigantic anime eyes, and they're uh, super arresting in a film where she, her looks are so important, you know, like the way she looks at um, everything, because I think she's always studying and like memorizing images. I think her eyes are important. um, And they just really, really popped for me. I was just like, man, her eyes. 
So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, you've it's been spoiled. But honestly, this is one of those movies. I don't think it matters if you know how it ends or not. I think it's the uh, every every second of it is doing something for you to experience. So it's worth rewatching and uh, analyzing and thinking and pondering and loving and living in this movie. Um, check out Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It is on Hulu streaming right now if you have a subscription. It's also on the Criterion Blu-ray. I don't think it's on the Criterion channel. Uh, because of the Hulu streaming contract, um, it most likely will be at some point. But you can buy the Blu-ray if it's available at any uh, distributor that has the Criterion movies and or, again, watch it on Hulu. Uh, I loved it. I think it's pretty obvious both Corey and I are going to give it the must-see rating. Am I right, Corey? Yes. Yeah. So um, I, I'm a big fan. I, I'm going to leave this last review. Big fan of uh, David Ehrlich's writing. He's a, a film critic. I can't think of what uh, publication he usually uses. Um, but I saw that he had reviewed this film on Letterboxd, so I clicked on it. I often read his reviews on Letterboxd. His review is the uh, fire emoji uh, a lot. I don't know how many times. I'm not going to count it. But it's, it's only fire emojis and then two... Uh, female emojis representing a bride and a painter. Um, and that's his whole review. And this guy writes amazingly. And this movie, I, I'm assuming, left him speechless enough where he felt this was the way to, to critique it. And I love that also. So um, that's that's our review of Portrait on a Lady on Fire. Do you have any... It sounds like you wanted to say one more thing. I actually had a question about that scene. And I totally forgot about it. How could I forget about it? It's the title of the movie. Um, when her dress is dress catches on fire yes she doesn't seem concerned about it like no she maybe wants um well they're singing at that moment like the other women around and i think she's hip like i feel like music seems to have this like hypnotic effect on her um i haven't fully analyzed that yet but that is kind of my take on it um and then like moments later she like collapses and they just like put the fire out but it is kind of dramatic at the same time so i'm not sure i feel like there's a lot to be read into in that moment that i have not fully processed okay fair. but it's it, I, it's such a cool scene though like visually like it just looks awesome and it, again it is yeah. the poster or it's one of the posters it's the poster that's on the uh, letterbox image for it but if you like what we do on this podcast, we ask that you uh, rate and review us on whatever service you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. Uh, if you would like, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on social media. I am at Burke Reviews on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and so on. Corey, what about you? At Corey, our star, two R's on the end. And that's pretty much it for this week. We'll be back next week uh, as we continue on speaking my language with the film Cache. Um, which for years I think I would have just called cash, but um, or cache, uh, but it's cache from two thousand and five. Uh, stars um, Daniel Atuli, Juliette Binoche. I can say that oh. name. Um, Annie Girardot, uh, Bernard Lacouc, uh, Daniel Duval, uh, Maurice Benicio, and I'll stop there. It is directed by uh, Michael Haneke who did something I've seen. Oh, he did funny games, um, which we have seen. Uh, oh, oh, oh. He did both the, the both versions of funny games, which is one of the more interesting things. So I forgot that. Um, I am fairly confident that this movie was recommended by Jamie, uh, who is in Alejandro's movie Monday. Um, he was a guest on our podcast. I feel like he was one who recommended this movie. I can't remember for sure. 
it was definitely on one of our top five interview episodes from a while back. And I bought it uh, soon after that. And I've been meaning to watch it since then. Had not gotten to it. Um, this made perfect sense. Again, not realizing that this month would turn into French films. Um, but nonetheless. Not mad about that, it. I'm not mad about it either. I, I tend to like French movies. Um, that said, that's what we'll be watching next week. Um, it is currently available to rent or buy on Vudu, YouTube, Google Play, uh, Apple, etc., Amazon. Um, but it is not free with any streaming services that I can see. So you will have to uh, shell out some bucks if you want to check this one out. Um, and that's it. We'll be back next week with our review of Cache from 2005. And until next time, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com.